Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Um, it is the last day of July, which is crazy. Even Trousdale County Schools have started back. We are here to come before the Lord in his word. We're going to be in the little tiny um, epistle of Jude. We've been that way. This is our third time, in, or our third session in Jude. Um, our text for today will be Jude 8 through 10. And uh, I'd like to start off, because this is short, uh, such a short book, I'd like to start with us going back to the very beginning and reading through the letter yet again. So we're going to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 10. So if you would, it'll be on the screen. If you would follow along, if you've got your Bible, that's cool too. Uh, Jude chapter, uh, Jude, there's, no, there's only one chapter, Jude verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ." Verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8 is our, begins our text for today. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now, I'd like to begin talking to you about, we've talked about, and just kind of setting the, the, the phrase, setting the stage for what's been happening. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing um, the saints, the gospel of Jesus Christ, false teachers who have snuck in. And he makes this point very clear. In verses five through seven, is, his point is this, they will not escape judgment for their sin and for the way they're trying to mislead the church. And then we start out in verse 8 through 10, and he, talks, he shows us their sins in, in triplicate. And their sins, they, they can be understood as a trespass because they are violating God's authority. You've seen the signs. No trespassing, right? What does that mean? Don't come on my property. There is a boundary line. If you pass that boundary line, I might hurt you, Okay. Now, I want you to get this, uh, a little idea about trespass, because sometimes we don't think of it as, as being a big deal. But um, my, my mother and father-in-law have a cabin in Pine Mountain, Georgia. If you've never been to Pine Mountain, it's a cool place. And their cabin butts up to the state park. And one day, we think we witnessed a felony. A guy was leaving the state park area in a rather quick manner, having a bow dressed as a hunter, and he is booking it. And what we think happened was he went over, and, and he was tracking a deer, and he shot the deer with the arrow, which obviously he would have shot with the arrow because he didn't have a gun. Duh. I just, that's redundant. I realize that some of you guys are like, he doesn't hunt, and that's true, okay? <laughs> so... The, the, the guy apparently had shot, either he shot it, we don't know, but it died on the state, prop, the state park property. That's a felony. And so he came running over. Now, if he'd have shot it on, on, our, on my mother and father-in-law's land, it might not have been received well, okay, but it wasn't illegal. But 
just passing over this one boundary line, and it really is, it was just, it's two painted stakes, and crossing over that boundary line from the place you can do this act to the place where you can't do the act, it's all the difference between maybe a perturbed neighbor and a felony. Does that make sense? So we saw this guy booking. We decided not to make, like, like avert our eyes because he had a weapon. We didn't have a weapon. It just made the best idea, like, he's committed a felony. We haven't. We're just, okay, all right? That's what happened. And I want you to get this. Trespassing, or, and that's one of the ideas of sin in the Bible, overstepping the bound that has been created by God. It's one of the ideas of sin in the Bible. That has deep, deep abiding consequences. And these teachers have trespassed the law of God. And Jude's going to show us this in a second. He is trespass- they're trespassing the law of God by throwing off his authority and living under their own authority. Now, my job is to show you where that is in the text. In Jude, verse 8, it says this, Yet in like manner, remember he's talking about these false teachers, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams. Now, here's the three. If you've got your own Bible, you've got an app, here's three things I want you to, to underline. These are the three sins they're guilty of, which also basically they, they, all of them have to do with throwing off God's authority. Here's the first one. Defile the flesh. The second one is they reject authority. And the third one is they blaspheme the glorious ones. These are the three sins that they are, that they are three of the sins that these false teachers are participating in that are tantamount to trespassing the law of God, which means throwing off their authority and going across, crossing the line and doing things that they ought not to do. And they are, by, by doing so, are incurring, incurring the judgment of God. And so here is how, here is for us today, there is an application point here, and it's a warning. If these teachers are being condemned biblically for what they're doing by throwing off God's authority, and he's giving the reasons why, which we'll go into a minute, into, in, into more detail in a second. If that is happening, it would stand to reason that if these false teachers are condemned for it, if any of these desires and actions and any of our, any, anything that we do that is rejecting God's authority would be something of a great danger to us. And so we need a warning from the scripture. Warnings can be very helpful. They can keep us from doing a lot of dumb things. Like take, for example, your hair dryer. Obviously, I don't use one unless the beard's growing out a little bit, okay? I don't have that. But it has a little tag on there, and it tells you where you should not use the hair dryer. Some of them say to not operate in the shower. It's true. You're like, really? That has to be there because somebody's like, you know what? I'm going to save some time got my hair washed, washed the body, but I'll do this as well, and then they died, okay? You think about that. Warnings are helpful. Even if you never thought about that, they've got a warning on it. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't stand, you know, uh, don't stand close to you know, oncoming traffic. Warnings are good things. They keep us out of danger. And so these things, these desires that these men have, they're tantamount to warnings. And so I want to show us some warnings, and then I want to give us a command, Warnings and a command. And here's the first, here's first set of warning. This passage, and Jude talking about these false teachers, he's warning us about our desires. Look, look in this passage in verse 8. It says, yet in like manner, these people, these false teachers also, relying on their dreams, that's going to be important in a second, they defile the flesh. Now, what could that mean? It could mean a, a, a number of things, but given the Old Testament background, the fact that Jude continually talks about the Old Testament, defilement of the flesh has something to do with, with some type of sexual sin. We know that. We've seen that in several different passages in Jude. Sexual sin has been mentioned several times. Am I correct? So we see that, that these false teachers are abusing the gospel in which to... By, in, in such a way that they can, or abusing the gospel so they can be gratified sexually from it. Now, that is disturbing. They're getting up and preaching and teaching and trying to, to, to give another gospel so they can justify the fact that they are continually continuing to sin in a sexual manner. Now, he would go on, and he said, not only that, but go back to the first part of verse 8. It says, relying on their dreams. The reason that they are Sinning sexually or defiling the flesh is because they're justifying themselves by their dreams. 
They have rejected the authority of God's word. They have rejected the authority of the apostles. They have rejected the authority of Jesus. And you know what their new authority has become? Their dreams. How many of you dream on a regular basis? Like when you, I, I, some people don't. I do. And if I was going to base my spirituality or my life in general upon the dreams that I have, it would be insane. Okay, the other day, the whole, time, the whole night, it was kind of infuriating. I dreamt that somebody was trying to tell me a phone number, and every time they would begin, it would give me the first number, and then it would kind of trail off. like. Nah, 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 nah. So the whole, I woke up angry. I woke up like, I need to know that phone number. Like, phone number to what? You know, have you ever done that? Just If you're going to base your spirituality on dreams, visions, and other things, you're going to end up in a bad spot. People still do that to this day. We're going to talk more about that when it comes to rejecting authority, but I want to get, get this clear. They, these men are abusing their quote-unquote spirituality in order to gratify their desires, and one of the desires that they want to gratify is their sexual appetites. You need to beware of your desires. Now, I want you to let's be, clear, let's be clear about a few things. God did give us desires. He gave us sexual desires. He gave us other desires. He did those for, on purpose and for reasons that are good. However, we pervert the desires. And we try to live, as he talked about, like these people, he would talk about in verse 10, they, try to, they live like animals, just responding to their basic instinct and base desires. If you don't think your desires are strong, by the way, just go on a diet. The second that you decide to go on a diet, things look much more appealing, right? You've never, you, may, you probably had not even crossed your mind to eat a Twinkie in years, okay? And the second you're like, I'm going to go paleo, okay? No more carbs for this guy. And all of a sudden you're like, I need a Twinkie bad. Just take that, our desires are incredibly strong, Unfocused, they can be detrimental. Unguarded, not underneath authority, our desires can lead us to destruction. That's a very biblical idea, and it's it's an idea in this passage. These people justifying their behavior by their dreams is kind of what Jude's getting at. They defile the flesh. Their sexual desires, they're using the things of God to to justify their, quote-unquote, justify their sinful desires, and they are, de- they are defiling the flesh. So here's this warning. Don't be like them. They're going to destruction. You need to watch your desires. Beware of your desires. Watch them closely, because if they're not under the proper authority, you will end up in a mess. Just think for a second if you gave in to every desire and impulse that you had. Go drive today. I'd like you to go drive to Nashville, okay? It's tax-free weekend. Go to a store. Yesterday, I decided, not, know, not remembering it was tax-free weekend. God bless people who work in the retail industry during this week, okay? God bless them because everybody is going after back to school supplies and shoes like they they are drowning or like they are dying of thirst and it's water okay we walked into the nike outlet in lebanon and i promise you there was a billion people there maybe a little hyperbole it was like stored like you're crammed in there people everywhere they're getting mad yelling i can't believe i gotta wait in the line i'm like and this is all for nine cents on the dollar off it's insanity right could you imagine if I gave in to, I would not be here right now if I gave in to every one of my desires, okay? I would be in jail because I wanted to drop kick people, okay? I wanted, I wanted when they pulled out in front of me, and, and this is kind of confession time. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is how it is. And most of you are thinking, oh, my gosh, he knows me, okay? <laughs> He's been in the car with me, Okay? I'm just being real, okay? With the, I got hit in a parking lot on Thursday. This was even before. And the lady just wasn't paying attention. If I had my desires, she wouldn't be here. I'm honking my heart. Stop! I'm backing up. She's like, ha, 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 ha. 
car's about to catch fire. She's hitting me so hard, okay? No, lady, stop. But she thought the horn meant back up faster. <laughs> if we were to give in to every one of our desires, we would be a mess. The, first, the, last, the next time your boss asks you to do something, you're like, well, I quit. Peace, okay? Right? Why do we think that we should give in to all of our desires? Our desires are not bad. There's been a whole, there's a whole idea about Christianity that thinks desires are bad. No, desires ungoverned by God are dangerous and bad. You hear that? It's not our desires that are wrong. In fact, our desires are strong and powerful, and they are meant all to be focused and channeled for the glory of Jesus Christ. But when they are off kilter, it is dangerous. So beware of your desires. You should not give in to every impulse. I mean, you know that. I mean, how many times have you been in a situation where somebody reacted harshly and said, that's just the way I am. That's just how I do. Well, maybe it's wrong. Maybe you're a crazy person. <laughs> Maybe there's a higher authority that you have to answer to. And that just kind of brings us to the point. These, these people are rejecting authority. They're reject, they, they have heard the gospel, obviously, because they have infiltrated this church. However, they are moving away from the gospel. And the, one of the reasons that Jude is pointing out is that they have moved away from the gospel to... By, by finding another authority, their dreams, and by defi- they're doing this so they can gratify their desires, especially their sexual desires. And so there are, the, the Lord has given us a, a, a perfect good way for us to, to express sexual desires, and that is, between, is in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Any other sex outside of that, let's just be clear, any other sex outside of that is sin, and we might think, we might feel that, that this is better or I'm attracted to this person or this person. We might think those are better, but unguarded, uncontrolled desires will lead us to destruction. So no longer make your conscience, quote unquote, your guide, but make God's word and his authority your guide, your Thoughts and feelings are deceiving, and if you acted on every one of them in traffic, you'd be arrested. If you acted on every one of them at your job, you'd be fired. I'm belaboring the point, but it stands to reason, because now we are living like these people in so many ways that our desires have overcome God's authority, and Jude is showing these people have decided to justify themselves by the dreams that they are having in order to carry out the desires of their flesh, which are strong. Don't let me tell you that they're not strong, but they can be controlled underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we get to this place. He says this, yet in like manner, these people also, they're relying on their dreams to justify themselves. They defile the flesh. That's one way they're rejecting God's authority, rejecting God's design because they desire to do something else. So that's a warning of your desires. The second thing we see is they're guilty of this. They reject authority. So I want you to be aware or beware of what or who you consider to be authoritative in your life. And so here is what we've, we've already discussed this, um, but we want to discuss it again. It's this, that these people, because of their dreams, have found a different source of authority than what God has given. See, go back to Jude chapter, I keep saying chapter, you want to, Jude verse 3. He tells the people who are there, who are called out, those who are believers, those who are called by God and beloved by God and kept by God, he tells them to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. What is that faith? That faith he's referring to that's once, once for all been delivered to the saints is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has come through Jesus, the word of God, and it's also come through the apostles who eyewitnessed Jesus and who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they received revelation and wrote it down. That's where we get the New Testament. And also, Old Testament's included this as well. You would have definitely thought about that. And so what we have here 
in Jude is he's saying that these false teachers have rejected authority. Obviously, the authority here, given verse 3, the context, and also the context of the whole Bible and, and the New Testament, especially 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for, rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. All that in, in tandem shows here that these people are rejecting the authority of God because of their dreams. They are finding a way to let their visions and their dreams and their desires overcome the authority of God, Jesus Christ, his son, and God's word, which is the scriptures. Now, you're saying, how could these people stay in church? Well, there are several people out there. Do you know something? When you turn on the television and you go to one of those Christian channels, you can be taking your life into your hands, okay? Because there are some people on there who preach God's word truthfully, but there are some people who desire to get rich and who, I think there are some people on there who, who desire genuinely to teach people God's word, but they are genuinely deceived. And if you hear anyone ever put their personal opinion, a vision that they had, a dream that they had, or any type of other revelation outside the Bible, if they ever say it is equal to or more important than the Scriptures, you need to hold up a giant red flag. Uh-oh! Red flag! That's not right. Because these men are rejecting God's authority because they are having dreams and visions. The human heart is deceitful, folks. And we do see in the, in the Old Testament especially, and even in the New Testament, God does give dreams, but all of those dreams that have been given, or were, uh, those were under the inspiration of the Spirit at that time. Secondly, they never contradicted God's Word. Most of the time, any, visions... This is one way you can tell about visions, dreams, and other things that people have that they try to put authority in. If it contradicts God's word, no good. That's a technical theological term, okay? No good. Why? Because we don't need other revelation. The faith has been once for all definitively delivered to the saints, we need nothing else but Jesus Christ and his word. We need nothing else. It is our sole authority. And to reject that is to do so at, at our peril. I want you to think about this. Beware of what you consider to be authoritative in your life. There's, a great, there's great danger in rejecting proper authority. Example, you are low on funds. So, there's a couple ways that are seen quite, you know, there's one way for sure that you can make money legally in this country. That is going to get a job, okay? There's another way in which you can procure money, but you're going to overstep the proper bounds of authority. You could rob a liquor store or a convenience store, right? Both ways, you have the same intended consequence of, I got some money, one of them is proper. One of them is overstepping the bounds of authority. One of them has huge consequences. Other one has a payday. Does that make sense? We see all these things. Sometimes we find like, the Bible to be some complex thing. I, don't, I just can't understand it. It's quite simple. When we, live under, we are living underneath authority, whether we like it or not, as much as we like to rebel and say we're not living under authority, we have found some authority to live under. We either find... We, nationally we do, but it, most of us, I mean, it could be, we're either under the authority of, honestly, ourselves and our own opinions and the tyranny of that, or we're underneath the good authority of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to get this. If you reject the proper authority, there's consequences. If you reject the proper authority of God in your life, there will be consequences. Same way, there is a danger in accepting something as authoritative, which is not. There's any number of examples of this. But can you imagine if you accept some off-the-wall premise as being authoritative and it not being? You base your whole life around the fact that um, it could be anything, that, that the earth revolves around the moon. 
I don't know what it could be. You base your fact on you you base your life on, on something that is is not authoritative. You base your life on some philosophy that's wrong. You base your life on anything, and what will that lead to? It will lead to detriment. So I want you to understand this. There's a warning. The first warning is beware of your desires. They're deceitful, and they must be under the lordship and authority of Jesus, unlike these false teachers. But I also want you to be aware of what you consider to be authoritative in your life. What is, this is the way you can think about it, what is the definitive when you have to make a decision? Is it what you want? Is it your desires? Or ultimately, are you trying to make every thought and every desire captive to Jesus? Is he the supreme authority? Is he? These men have rejected authority, and they have justified it by their dreams. We can find any number of ways to justify our sin. But the best way to live, the right way to live, is to approach the authority of God and say, whatever you say goes. If I see it, if it's in your word and it's plain in your word, it doesn't matter what I feel. It matters what is true. So beware of what you consider to be authoritative. Thirdly, and this is where it gets a little bit difficult, it says, in like manner, these people, these false teachers, they're relying on their dreams to justify themselves. They defile the flesh, which means they have these sexual desires that they're using, uh, that they're justifying. And then it says they reject authority. They're rejecting God's authority. And thirdly, we see this, and they blaspheme glorious ones. In verses 9 and 10, he's going to unpack what this means. Glorious one is obviously some, for, some reference to angels, whether they be uh, angels who have not fallen or angels who have fallen. What, fallen, what I mean by that is they have sinned. There have been some angelic beings who have sinned. Obviously, we know that. We see the, the, the chief of the sinners of the angels is Satan. The second one and, and the other ones are demons, okay? We don't know. A lot of us want to chart when it comes to the Bible, and I can show you all the hierarchy of angels and demons, but here's the big deal. The Bible mentions angels and demons, but it does not major on angels and demons. You know why? Because God is at the center of the Bible. Not you, not me, not angels, not anything else, but God is at the center of the Bible. And so I don't know exactly how this works out, but he tells this story that they are blasphemed. They're speaking ill of angels. And what this shows is that these people have spiritual pride. I'll show you that in a second, how in the text, but these, these people have spiritual pride. It's evidenced by the way that they are speaking to these glorious ones, these ones who God created with authority. And so look with me in verse 9. Now, here's a very weird story, okay? And uh, verse 9 says this, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, there's a lot in just those few phrases, right? Think about that. But when the archangel Michael, that means he's a, he, archangel means he's one of the chief angels. He's one of the only name, angels mentioned in the Bible by name. Okay, we have, he's, he's seen in Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 12. His name is mentioned also in Revelation chapter 12. He's one of the only angels or archangels definitely mentioned in the Bible by name. Okay, and so we get this. But when the archangel Michael, he was contending with the devil, that was mean this idea of contending is they're having a dispute amongst each other, which that was weird, an angel and Satan just arguing over, and here's what they're arguing over. They were disputing. This is actually that word disputing is, is really um, like a legal term. They were disputing about the body of Moses. And he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, we don't have this story in any of, of the biblical literature. However, Jude's citing it. I believe he's citing it under the inspiration of the Spirit. And because of that, this story, though we don't have any other attestation, we have no reason to doubt that it's true, especially because of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses goes up on a mountain. God shows him the promised land and says, Moses, you're not going to enter into the promised land, but I'm going to show it to you. And Moses died and said that God buried Moses. Now, that's a pretty cool funeral, all right? Yeah, your family wasn't there, but hey, God buried you, okay? That's not bad. And he got to see the promised land. He didn't get to enter in and it, because of it, it, basically his sin. And so here's what we have. The, kind of the tradition around this story kind of gives us an indicator of what's, of, of, of what's going on here. There's a, a, apparently, when this happened, Moses was honored 
in his burial like almost no other man. Okay? Get this for a second. You ever been to a military funeral? They are so moving. In fact, I just realized this. Um, my grandfather has been passed. He was in the Army National Guard for years. He'd been 20 years ago yesterday that he had passed. And I remember his funeral, and it never, it always gets me. I mean, it, no matter where I go, they have the flag on the casket. It's beautiful. And then they have the honor guard come up, and somebody usually plays, they, a lot of times they get a guy that plays taps. They have so many guys in uniform, and they fold the flag, and they hand it to the widow. It's powerful. And then what do they do? We get the 21-gun salute, and if you're not ready for that, it'll scare you to death. I guarantee you. Oh! <laughs> Discharging firearms. Wow. All right. We're getting it. What is all that meant to do to honor that person? Could you imagine a much more honorable funeral than the one Moses had? And God himself buried this man. I mean, amazing. So here's what happens. The accuser, Satan, and Michael, what we can gather from this, they have this dispute about the body of Moses. And from the reading between the lines a little bit, but I think sanctified in this, what we got is Satan is, is talking about all of the sins that Moses had done. Do you remember the Old Testament, all the sins Moses had done? How did he end up in the wilderness in the first place? He saw an Egyptian. He got mad. What, given into his desires? What did he do? Smack, killed him, and hit his body. We don't look for that in our heroes of the faith, right? We kind of gloss over that story. Parting of the Red Sea we like, but murder, not so much, okay? So he murdered him, right? Not only that, why doesn't, he, why doesn't Moses get to go into the promised land? He struck a rock when he should have spoken to it. He sinned. And, and Satan is there, and he's like, no, you should not, this is not, this, he should not have died in honor. He should have died in shame. And the archangel Michael, he's disputing with him. And then he uses this phrase, which is quite amazing. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. He, it says, Michael didn't start, Satan, you're this low down, da, 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 I curse you, Satan. You know what he did? He said, the Lord rebuke you. This is actually a quote from Zechariah chapter 3. I know you were thinking Zechariah was going to get mentioned today. I knew you were thinking that. Zechariah 3, 2, in which Satan, there's, a, there's a, uh, the high priest Joshua was there, and Satan brings an accusation against Joshua. The accusation is actually merited because the high priest would go in and he had to be cleansed perfectly to go in before God. Well, what happens in the, in the picture, and if you want to check me, okay, go, go read Zechariah 3. It's pretty awesome. So Joshua, the high priest, comes, and he's wearing dirty garments, and Satan says, no, he's condemned. And you know what God says? The Lord rebuke you. I'm rebuking you. You know why? Because he's mine. And you know what happens in the scene? It's so amazing. God takes off Joshua, the priest. He takes off his filthy garments, and he put clean garments on him. Get the fact, this is the greatness of God. Satan is right in his accusations, except for the fact that God has made a way for cleansing and has forgiven. And so, what is his argument here? Why does he bring that up? Remember, they're guilty of blaspheming glorious ones. His, the argument here goes like this. If the archangel Michael did not start, for lack of a better word, cussing out, the devil, who deserves it, right? If he didn't do that, but he let the authority of final judgment go to, go to God, how can these false teachers continually blaspheme glorious ones who they know, not, know very little about? If Archangel Michael didn't do that to the devil, how could these men who are so defiled by, in their flesh by their desires, how can they go around? And apparently what they were doing, and listen, we're having to read between the lines here because we don't know exactly the situation, but apparently what's happening, these people are talking, they're cursing either angels or demons or both. And they're, they're doing this in a way to show their spiritual power. I cast thee out. There's a great story in Acts chapter 19, by the way, of these guys that started casting out demons trying to cast out de demons in Jesus' name. And you know what happens? One of the demons says, I don't know who you are. 
I know Jesus, no Paul, but I don't know you. You know what the demons do? They beat the snot out of this guy. Now, that's the Matt International Version. Go read it, Acts chapter 19, okay? But I want you to get this idea. It is very important that you do not speak on matters you do not understand. You don't believe me? Look at the text, verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. Let me just understand. Just, just understand. There, we know what the Bible reveals we know. There are things about God. There are things about the creation. There are things about angels and demons. There are things about the nature of the spiritual world. There are things about the end times. There are things about salvation which we can know. You know why we can know them? Because God has revealed them to us in a credible witness in the Scripture and revealed them through Jesus Christ. So this is not saying there are things that, there are, that we don't know anything. We know a lot because God's given it. But there are some areas that we don't know anything about. And you know what it's best to do if you don't know anything about it? Shut your mouth. Me too. It really is. It is better to remain silent than to show your foolishness and arrogance by speaking to something. This has come to me over many, many years of being foolish. Not only that, it's a biblical idea. Just if you don't know, say, I don't know. Right? Because you could actually do more detriment. And so what these guys are doing is basically they are pronouncing these spiritual judgments about things they do not understand, and, and they are assuming a space, a place of spiritual pride. And do you know what spiritual pride leads to? Trespass. Rejecting God's authority. You know why? I don't have to listen. I don't need to listen to that, obviously. It, the text can't mean that because I'm so much smarter than this. And I, I've lived my spiritual life this way for so long. I, this can't be right. Uh, maybe at the root of everything is our spiritual pride that we would rather obey ourselves than a God who is so good and loving and all-knowing. Oftentimes we question decisions that we know little about, especially when it comes to God. I mean, do you realize how much our perspective how small our perspective is. Like right now, we can't see much more than, like right now, I can't see much more that's going on in this room. I can see cars passing out there. Oh, everyone is like, oh, I want to look at that. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned cars back there. Our perspective is so skewed and amazing how we are so quick when something happens in, in the world. God, how could you do that? Maybe you don't see the whole picture. You only got like, this much. That's right. And so maybe maybe our spiritual maybe our spiritual pride is keeping us continually rejecting God. And so here he goes on and says in verse 10 it says but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They and they are destroyed, which is not talking about just destroyed now. It's talking about eternal destruction, which he started talking about. He says, if you follow this way, if you follow the way of rejecting God's authority, you will come under spiritual destruction. This destruction is eternal. This destruction should make us weep. And it says like that, they are like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Um, they, let me read that again. It says, they are like... They are like unreasoning animals, understanding instinctively. These people are claiming to be spiritual, these false teachers, but they are showing that they are not spiritual because they are living by all of their base desires and are not controlled by the spirit, but by their flesh. So I want you to get this. If you want a litmus test of whether you're spiritual or not, ask this question, how do you make your decisions? Do you make your decisions based on your desires or do you make your decisions based on the authority of Jesus? And so we have these warnings, warnings to be, warning about our desires, warnings about what we consider to be authoritative, authoritative warnings about beware of our spiritual pride. And so here's, here's, what, here's where we need to make the turn from the warnings to the actual command here. And I want you to get this idea. I think it follows. The warnings here are about these people are coming to destruction because they're rejecting God's authority. It stands to reason, then, that he's trying to get them not to reject God's authority, but to what? To live in submission 
and surrender to God's authority. So beware of these desires and things that would push us away from acknowledging God as Lord and everything, but to learn to live in submission and surrender to Jesus. Does that make sense? Is that following? You see, he is saying, in saying, don't live rejecting the authority of God, he is saying, in essence, in a positive sense, live under the authority of God. Surrender or submit yourself to Jesus. The idea of sub- submission and surrender is, is a key idea in the New Testament. If you go to Romans chapter 10, which is used a lot in the Romans Road, the presentation of the gospel, you have Romans 10, 9, which says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. At the core of this confession is Jesus is Lord. Now, there's two major ways to understand this, okay, and they're both true. The first one is this. When the New Testament church proclaimed Jesus is Lord, they were basically saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. Jesus is one with the Father. He's different in person, but he's one in the Father. So that word Lord, if you look at the Greek translation of what's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Lord is used, especially in all caps, Lord is used to signify the divine name, which is Yahweh, which is the name for God in the Old Testament, that the, the personal covenant name, the one where Moses says, I am, where God says, who, or Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am that I am, that's Yahweh. And so here's when, when the church is confessing Jesus is Lord, it's saying that Jesus is God. Secondly, you know what they're saying? Jesus is the boss. That's what lordship is. You're confessing that Jesus is sovereign, that he's Lord, that he is the rightful one, that you're submitting to his authority. You are either, listen, the idea of freedom is not understood correctly. Because I want you to get this idea. You are either bound to sin, that's a biblical idea, or you are bound to Jesus. You're under his lordship. There's no in-between. I'm free to do what I want my sin. You? Okay. But you're just bound to that. You're bound by your own desires. You can't leave it on your own. You're stuck in its consequences. There's nothing you could do. But the good news is that there is a way to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the tyranny of yourself, to the sovereign submission to Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel. It's the cross. And so Jesus is Lord. This confession is saying that Jesus is the boss of my life. He is Lord. So it's inev- it's, if you claim to be a Christ follower... You are claiming that he is the boss, and what he says goes, and what he decrees is right, and your opinions fall to his truth in every way, and his plan for your life trumps your plan for your life, and he is Lord. And that's what he's, these false teachers have rejected, even though they're trying to act spiritually. Spiritually, And sadly, there are so many people who are in churches every Sunday who proclaim Jesus is Lord, but don't live as if Jesus is Lord. But he is Lord, and submission is what he demands. And he says, and it's a beautiful thing, and surrender. Surrender to Jesus looks like this. Surrender to Jesus means that he's Lord of your desires. God, I know. That I struggle with X, Y, and Z, and that desire is strong, but you're Lord, and I will not participate in that under your help. Not because I don't feel it, but because I know that you know better and you're Lord. That can apply to any desire, sexual or otherwise. Secondly, surrender to Jesus like this. Surrender to Jesus as Lord means he's the supreme authority in your, li- in your life. That means his word takes precedence. So here's the thing. If you're saying he's the authority, he's the boss, but you don't know what he says, you're not, you can't follow the boss. So this is a call for every believer to come to the boss, come to the word, and say, this is the, this is the truth. It says what I need. It says who I'm to be. It says how I'm to worship. It shows me who God is. It is it. Surrender to Jesus means surrendering to Jesus as Lord of your ego. Let me just say that again. Surrendering to Jesus means that you're surrendering to him as Lord of your ego. He died on a cross as a criminal. He washed feet. 
He loved people, his disciples namely, who were oftentimes morons. How many of us will write somebody off one time when they do something wrong to us? And he continually loved. If Jesus did it, then we surrender our ego to Jesus. There's a song that we used to sing all the time. It's a, it, I, I would call it a good Baptist song, but it was written by a Methodist. It's called it's I Surrender All. You ever heard that song before? Man, I tell you what, this was, uh, this was actually written um, in the uh, early 1900s uh, by a guy whose first name was Judson, just like my son. I'll give you a little backstory on this song. Um, he was dealing very, he was a school teacher and a very successful school teacher. And he had a good career going for himself. But he also knew a lot about music. And he became largely involved in his church in evangelism and, um, and in, in music. And everybody had been coming to him and saying, hey, Judson, you, it's obvious to us that God has called you into ministry that you need to give up your career and you need to go full-time in the service of Jesus through music evangelism. And he was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good with my career. I'm fine with it. Five years of wrestling, one night he surrendered his career to Jesus, and the outflow of that is this song. And it's real simple. I just want to read you a couple of lines of it. I just remember singing this as a kid. Um, and it says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. The second verse says, all to Jesus I surrender, I give up, I live in submission. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me Jesus, take me now. And then the chorus is, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to you my blessed Savior. I surrender all, and I just remember singing these lyrics, and, and I'll tell you what, there was a time in my life where it was, life was rough, and I was at the fork in the road about life, and uh, as would happen in God's providence, I ended up taking a group of students up to Covenant College for student life camp. Now, we didn't sing this song, but the idea of surrender came home in a message that the, the speaker for the week, Ed Newton, said. He said, if you're coming to Jesus... You're coming with a blank piece of paper, just like this, nothing on it. And this blank piece of paper represents a contract. And there's no words on a blank piece of paper. And usually you're taught to read a contract fully, right? And, yes, there's some things in the Bible about counting up the cost. I'm not saying that, that that's not what he's talking about. But basically when you come and you accept Jesus as Lord and you submit and receive him as Lord, you're signing a blank contract. And it just, it's saying, whatever you have is for me. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I surrender to who you are. A blank piece of paper with your name at the bottom. The signed contract to say, I don't know what you got. All I know is your Lord. That is what Jesus requires. And it is beautiful submission, though. Go back to Zechariah chapter 3, where I was talking about when, when angels, or Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. Do you know that Moses was condemned to sin? You know that Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3, he was condemned to sin. You know why? Because he was approaching God with filthy garments on. But here's the beauty of being in submission to Jesus Christ. Yes, no longer are your ways your own. You are now bought with the price. You are not your own anymore. But the one who you are under contract to, he loved you while you were dirty and filthy and had nothing to bring. And he removed your filthy garments and he put on clean ones and he made you a priest unto God and he made you right and he gave you all of the honors and privileges of a son. And so we reject his authority to our detriment, but we come and submit ourselves to Jesus. And this submission is not like when we were wrestling with our brothers and it was like, out, tap out. No, it's a joyful submission. Because he is so good. 
We're going to pray, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table in submission and saying, your will, your way. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you call us to be your slaves. Thank you that you call us to live under your authority. Help us not be deceived like these false teachers by our desires, our ability to, our, our want to be in control, and our spiritual pride. May we bow before you as Lord. May we all sign blank checks today. May we all sign blank contracts, and we submit to you and your authority and rule, even if it goes against every desire we have. We submit to you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, at this time, if the deacon uh, families and, and community team would come forward, we're going to enter into our time of communion. Uh, this is a time where we celebrate what Christ has done for us. We remember what he's done for us, but it's also uh, a, a somber time of reflection because the, the sacrifice that, that he gave was for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, so as the communion is passed around, if you're not a believer, I would ask that you abstain from it. It's, it's nothing, nothing uh, uh, bad to do, uh, but um, if you are a Christian, you are a believer, uh, take this time right now, uh, you know, examine your heart, Pray to God, ask him to, to uh, take a look in there and convict you uh, where it needs to be. And uh, once all the communion's been passed around, we'll take it together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They ate. In the same way, he also took a cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You got one quick announcement for you all. So good to be with you and worshiping Jesus. 
Love to see every one of you. We have a, if you worked at VBS, thank you again. I can't say thank you enough. But if you worked at VBS, we're going to have a post-VBS meeting in which we talk about things that went well, things that we can improve on, and what God has done. And we're going to do that right down here in the worship center as soon as we dismiss, about 10 minutes after we dismiss. Let everybody go get their kids and whatever they need to do. So right down here, if you, are, if you participate in VBS, please stay and, and give us some feedback. The meeting is going to last 20 minutes, okay? And if you've ever been in a meeting with me, we'll get out on 20 minutes, okay? So we need you on that. If you would, let's stand. We're going to be dismissed with these words of Scripture. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go in his grace. God bless you. Greater.
Where you go? 